Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Folklore Podcast. This episode is part of our occasional series which looks at the interplay between real-world folklore and its use in storytelling in a gaming environment. Particularly in this case, we're going to be exploring the variety of different types of divination found in cultures around the world, and how these techniques might be transferred to a fictional setting as part of a story. A new Kickstarter, launching soon, is seeking to bring out a book on this subject entitled Eye to the Void. The author, David Whitworth, is an experienced game developer and player, as well as having more than a passing interest in folklore. He's the host of the Drunken Storyteller podcast. David is developing this book for Hive Mind Games. You can find them online at hivemindgames.co.uk, and I'll include that link as well as a link to the Kickstarter and to David's online space in the show notes for this episode and on the Folklore Podcast website. I had a chance to speak with David a few days ago about the topic of divination and how he is planning to use it. Hello, David. Welcome to my podcast. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having me. I predict that you want to talk about divination. I, I predict that your your prediction is correct. Ah, it was in the tea leaves, you see. Oh, no, I think this was coffee. This was definitely coffee, this one. This is a coffee-fueled divination. Okay, this is a slightly different episode to normal, so fill everybody in as to why we're talking about divination and in what sense we're talking about divination. Oh, okay. Um, why, 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 would, why, would we, why would we not talk about divination, for one thing? Fair. Um, but yeah, so if anybody has followed Mark on Twitter um, for some time, or the Folklore Pod on Twitter for some time, you'll have seen he occasionally posts stuff about RPGs um, and playing in games. And I'm the one who has tortured Mark in various RPGs on live streams. And recently I decided that I wanted to write some stuff on divination. So I do know a little bit about folklore and the occult, um, just a little bit, not much. Um, So I thought I would pitch an idea to some friends of mine who own an RPG company and we'd uh, write something on divination. So I've written something on divination. And uh, Mark, I thought, would be the great person to... uh, Tell me how badly I've done this. <laughs> um, so um, this this project is a guide to using divination within a role-playing environment. Okay, now, yeah, um, yeah, role-playing games and kind of folklore and fantasy, they, they've been very closely linked for a long time because yes. this is essentially storytelling, isn't it? And storytelling yeah. is a very big part of, of folklore and divination is also a very big part of folklore outside of that as well. What exactly do we mean by divination in this sense? So in this sense, I'm taking a kind of historical um, idea of divination. So um, one of the things we see within, within a lot of RPGs is, especially the big brand names, there's a lot of misinterpretation of what divination is and they've they've branded it to be this big wonderful fantastical thing that fits within the worlds that they're creating which is okay i suppose 
but it does come up with a lot of tropes and generalizations and mis misrepresentations of the historical and cultural ideas of where divination comes from. So what I wanted to do was kind of look at this from, I'm an academic myself, not within folklore, within a completely separate realm of um, academia. But I, I, I viewed this as, a, as an exercise of me kind of going down that route. And I love the occult history and things. So I've taken the ideas of where divination has come from and applied it to RPGs. But So when we talk about divination here, we're talking about it as the magic that is finding an answer to something or um, seeking knowledge um, or finding a path. So you, you, you are looking through a, a magical lens, an occult ideology of I've got this issue and I need to know the path forward to kind of go down that. And we see this in RPGs with scrying and, and crystal balls and all that kind of stuff. And we, we've heard of these within pop culture and stuff. Um, but where do these ideas come from originally? And that's where I wanted to take this book, was to take the original history and the ideas of this divination, this seeking of knowledge through divine powers and apply it in a more literal sensitive way i suppose mm. than what has been done um within some of the big bigger name brands um okay so so in terms of folklore um we need to be clear really that when we talk about divination and the the same will carry across to a gaming environment we're not talking about a kind of overwhelming prediction of the future so we're not looking at, if you're playing a game, your character going, okay, I'm going to carry out this piece of divination and that will tell me where this entire story is going to go. In terms of folklore, divination was used for things like, um, am I going to get married this year? What are going to be my husband's initials? Who's, yeah. you know, that's, those are kind of little life experiences of what divination in terms of folklore yeah. tended to focus on. Is that the approach you're taking too? Kind of. I'm, I'm trying to do the... It's it's kind of hard because divination... When I set out to do this, I kind of knew that there was that small local scale stuff where it is, who's going to be my husband? Who's going to die this, this year? And um, are the crops going to be good and stuff? And then you've got your your oracles of Pythia and, and the big grand schemes of stuff. Um, my idea was just kind of get a broad overview uh, and the more that I delved into it and the more that I went, the kind of harder it got to do this broad overview of things because divination, it comes from every culture from throughout history. It's such a broad, well-covered topic, I suppose. Words, not quite right there, but it's every historical religious culture to some extent has some form of divination so to mm. say it's either a small thing where it's about this is who i'm marrying the rivers will run dry at this point in the year the rains will come here to i need to go and visit the augury or go visit the oracle to determine the outcome of this battle which will lead to greater things for the empire it's a little bit of a hard thing to kind of do 
Um, within RPGs, as you said, though, it's quite often used as that grand scale thing. It is, this is the path you are going to follow to get to fight the big dragon in the dungeon, for example. Mm. And I wanted to avoid that. And I wanted to avoid that massive trope of, you are going to be the destined ones. This is your destiny and you will succeed. And this is how this is how not to do that. This is how not to say, oh yeah, we, this prophet said we're, we're destined to become gods. So therefore we can run around and murder hobo anybody we want to. Mm. Um, I'm trying to avoid that idea and kind of give you more of kind of the niche, the RPG niche, but the real world divination ideas. Yeah, and it does lend itself to these sorts of things really well. I mean, I was asked a little while ago to write a role table for an RPG game that somebody was developing, which was essentially different ways that you can protect yourself against the Fae. And, you know, you would roll to see what methods your village community would use to Mm. offer protection against the Fae. And you can absolutely draw on real-world folklore very, very easily for this sort of thing. I imagine there's a lot of iron nails in that. There there was an amount of iron in there. Yes, you're right. (laughs) You touched on one thing, though. Before before, Mm. um, we focus on some of the elements that you've used, because as you say, you know, this can draw from cultures all around the world. Mm. That, of course, throws up another interesting point, and that's the point that in the real world we see more frequently actually these days is is the idea of cultural appropriation yes and you know halloween is coming everybody in the uk is going to be having mexican day of the dead celebrations it's like, it's this, like, why? This where may, may the... not be time specifically for <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that some people find cultural appropriation problematic and it can yes. be problematic depending on how it's done but you're using real world folklore and culture Mm. as a springboard aren't you so the idea um and it's something we're still we're still in the writing editing phase of this and one thing we want to make clear is there are people in the world who still follow traditional religions that use these ideas you can use these as inspiration for your own ideas in your game but copying them verbatim or making it obvious that this is what you are copying it from another culture and bastardizing it um, is wrong. So one of the things that is well known within the RPG community is there have been problems with cultural appropriation of specific cultures and uh, creeds within that, especially the Roma or the uh, BIPOC community. There have been very, very serious issues with that. And so with this, we have um, to make sure that we are trying to treat this as well as possible. um, We have brought in a, so I'm the writer. um, I'm writing this for a company called Hive Mind Games, who are a local company in Manchester. Um, I have brought in a friend of mine, Dr. Catherine Crouch, who is a, I'm going to get this wrong and she's probably going to kill me for getting the the title of a PhD wrong, um, a mortuary archaeologist who has uh, an interest or a deep interest within um, the mortuary rites and religious practices of various cultures. So we have her coming in and and checking over that we are being as sensitive as we possibly can over these different cultures and the way that we're treating them. Because 
one of the reasons why a new system is coming out, something called One D and D, is to kind of address some of the the misappropriation or the the cultural appropriation of certain religions, especially the Roma, as we say in the the BIPOC communities. And we're trying to be as sensitive as we can to that. So everything that is in this book is seen as a inspiration, not a you can copy this verbatim and use this. Please don't do mm. that. And we, we, we try to state that quite clearly in there. Uh, and we give examples, and we'll probably come to a few of those in a bit, as to how you can take this idea and then apply and use it as inspiration in other ways. Yeah, okay. So so with that in mind, then, let, let's do that. You um, break down in this book the different types of divination into various sections. Yes. So... I'm just going to run through those and and maybe you can talk a little bit about what your research led you to in terms of uh, real world mythology and folklore, Mm -hmm. because both are covered here. Yeah. uh, And how you've been able to utilize that in the creation of a a similar system. So your, your first section looks at people who offer help with divination so oracles and seers and people like that um how has that led you in to um using these sorts of people as you say the we break this book down um, just as kind of a clarification there are no real classifications in like groups of divinations in 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 the real world but for ease of use we've kind of created our own classification system mm. um so if anybody has any better way of doing it please let me know um because that'd be brilliant <laughs> um but yeah so the first one we look at is oracles prophets and seers and i thought this was an important thing to look at because within many rpgs these come up as character classes these are people you can actually play within games and they all have specific powers and specific ways they can react so I thought, how well do do the real ideas that we see in history actually interact within what we see in RPGs? So everybody has heard of the terms oracles, prophets, and seers. So I go through a bit of a, a kind of a, what are they? What's the difference between them? So oracles are effectively temples in a way, um, but sometimes we now in modern, modern language, uh, sometimes they get called, prophets get called oracles um they are the big grand people who or big grand temples who will give you that overarching story arc for for a rpg campaign or as i've already mentioned the um oracle of pythia who is the big prophet of the greek times from around 650 to 400 bce um massive massively important religious icon who merchants and um lords and kings would go and visit before they did anything important so oracles are that big grand scale story then your prophets are have that divine connection like the oracle does but also kind of step back a little bit from the bigger grander scale and you can kind of end up seeing them in towns and villages and they're set where they are and they accept money and they have specific methods and they are connected to the divine. 
So, so Nostradamus, for example, is probably the you know the most famous yeah. example of a prophet yeah. in that sense. Yeah. In in that sense, if if you believe that he was connected and a lot of what he did wasn't hoodwinked or stolen from other people, mm. um, and I do mention this in the book. Um, <laughs> so we we hear about these prophets and things, and um, there are other points where we'll go uh, within other chapters where I'll say. This is an idea, but it may also be historically inaccurate. So Nostradamus, we all know of him. We all know of his end of world prophecies and have heard of them. And especially in recent times with what's happened in the UK with the passing of the Queen, people have come back to to Nostradamus and seen these connections with King King Charles. Um, But if you read the book, you'll see that there may be a bit of contention with maybe where he got some of his ideas from. But yeah, Nostradamus is a prophet. He is a grander scale person, but not on the big, everyone goes visits them kind of stuff. Mm. And then you end up with seers, who are people who generally don't have a divine connection on that grand scale, but will be able to see patterns and, and, and study the birds or study the way the moss grows and stuff. And to some extent, you might say that Mother Shipton is a seer, but we don't know enough about her to really say whether she was a prop within the the broad terms that I've described here, whether she was a prophet or whether she was a seer. But she again is another one who's famous for her end of world prophecies. Um, like if the bridge falls thrice, then the world will die. And it's only mm. fallen twice. So um, nobody go blow up the bridge in Nesborough in York. Otherwise we might all end up in a bad place. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in terms of using these sorts of characters in hmm. a story environment within a game, are you placing these into an environment as people who can be asked specific questions and will give slightly ambiguous answers, or how are yes. you going about it? Yeah, so... Prophecies, if, if you go and read, if you go online and you Google old prophecies, just literally that word, you, you'll come up with loads of prophecies. And a lot of them are very, as you say, ambiguous. They're not well-defined statements of the world will end on December 16th, 1982. We don't get that. We get some very, very obscure references to certain things. And so when we want to portray prophets, seers and oracle temples, a lot of it, a lot of the way we discuss, discuss in the book is why, why are you going there? And how does the prophecy get given to you? So if you're going to go into an oracle, what's the ritual involved and how does the ritual relate to the world that you're playing in? So the examples that we give in the book of the, the Oracle of Pythia, where there is this grand procession and, um, sacrifices that you have to offer to Apollo or to the Oracle and, and Prophet herself. Um, so how do you do that? But if she's not available, what happens? Um, because she then can't give her full prophecy, so you end up with yes or no questions. Yeah, so if, if you go visit a Prophet, like the grander scale Prophets and Oracles, you get a weird grand scale story. But we say that maybe don't give them something quite simple. Don't say, if you go to the castle, the dungeon is a dangerous place. 
it's all about the words and languages that you use. Um, instead of saying, if you go to the castle and the dungeon is a dangerous place, the building of stone underground danger awaits. Trying to create mm. a sense of atmosphere about it. Going to visit these religious places from history or these people who held the imagination and the power over a lot of kind of not just grand scale but everyday things there is a lot of feeling involved so try and create that feeling with the way you are saying it um well this is the thing isn't it when when you when you went to see people like this the responses that you got were naturally ambiguous yes if you look back at recorded prophecies of people like nostradamus or mother shipton or, or various other prophets and seers readings can be taken in, in different ways because mm. of the nature of the language and yes. I, I guess that's something that absolutely lends itself to maybe throwing people off a track or putting mm-hmm. people onto the right scent depending on where you want your game to go isn't it very much so. It's like um, Mother Shipton has been tied to aircraft and, and cars and, mm. and, and the internet and things because of the ambiguous nature of what she says. And you can kind of do the same thing. So if you, if you know a storyline that you want people to go down but don't want to directly tell them that this is where you want to go, give them a hint. Um, and we do this mm. throughout the entire thing. I was just uh, looking at the animals section and talking about auguries. And like, I've, I've removed this now from the book and there's something else that's in, in there instead, but maybe you are heading down a path and there's a fork in the path and the, the, the players choose to go one way, but you really need them to go the other way. Mm. Your seer or your prophet suddenly sees a flock of birds burst from the field somewhere and, and the way that they, they, they um, fly through the, the sky tells them that actually no that's a really bad way to go you should probably go the other way um and it's you can use them in that kind of way as well so it's not just you have to visit somebody you can have this kind of happen as a subtle background story thing as well so it's not always you have to go visit your prophet seer oracle thing they can just randomly happen at times as long as Maybe there is one person, at least in the party, who has some form of connection to the divine or the spirits. Hmm. So, so uh, your second mechanism yes. um, might involve a third party because you can go and receive this as a service. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, it might be something that you have a talent for yourself. Yes, uh, and and that's either casting or reading so tarot cards runes these these kinds of divination so this is looking for for interpretation of something that is presented isn't it now there's lots of different examples from all around the world of of different methods that different cultures use for for casting and for reading um out of the research that you did into all of these, um, what came back as particularly um, interesting and useful to you? Um, so I think the, the the interesting thing that I found was that 
um, f- across the across the world that they're all pretty similar in the way that they behave, not in the thing that you are doing, um, but in kind of the complexity of the reading, the, the overall reading of it. So I, I debated for a long time as to whether this should be two separate chapters or one chapter. Um, but I chose it to be one chapter because when you cast something, you cast the lots, you cast the runes, whatever, you then have to read what's what's been put down. So I, I chose it to be one one chapter. But um, there's always this really complex method that you need to to kind of understand what has been laid out before you. And it goes through the I Ching, it goes through the runes, whether it's the, the Foo Parks of the the Norse or whether it's the Ogham runes or whether it's the casting of bones or beans from um, the Africas or the Americas. There's always a very complex pattern of kind of in, uh, inter interplay between things so if you are even within um tarot as well um, we all know the the three card draw of tarot which can also be applied to a three rune draw um, of the various runic systems where you get past present and future that's the base level within the futhark and the nordic religions nine is a sacred number and you quite often draw nine runes and they're the in the 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 um, the order in which you pull these runes out, um, the way that they are then cast upon the ground, the positions they are in relation to each other, all layer into the meaning of what is going on. Um, and you see this across cultures. It's not just it's only specifically for Western cultures that the pattern is important or the way that they are drawn is important. We see it in, even in the I Ching in China and and, and in the Taoist religions, there's this, people have probably seen the I Ching mirror and um, the the thousands of lines on that. There's a lot of complexity behind it, um, which allows within RPGs a lot of freedom. Going, it's fallen like this, and this is how I'm going to read it because nobody's read this book of seven thousand interpretations. <laughs> in in terms of uh, real world folklore, then folklore is possibly not right, not the right word, even with 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 things like tarot and and other similar divina- divination practices. It's very much a physical act. Yeah? Yes. You're, you're drawing cards, you're looking at the results. How do you translate that to a game environment, particularly if perhaps you're playing a game where not everybody's even in the same room or sat around the same table? So there's a concept within this form of like especially connected to the tower and runes is is you imprint yourself upon these things so there are two ways that it can be applied to the game is are you the one performing the 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 divination so have you kind of gone off into a corner around somewhere and are drawing the cards or have you gone to see someone to do it i'm just staring at the document here and all i can see is warhammer forty thousand. so we're going to talk about warhammer forty thousand, and this is not something that um it's a fantasy setting and so it's a science fiction setting. It's not something we'd automatically associate with divination. But within that setting specifically, there's something known as the Emperor's Tarot, 
And so there are these forms of divination within sci-fi. So using, you can take these ideas from, I, I, I hate to say it, but tarot is now almost pop culture levels of, of divination. It does, it is still connected. So you've got your Thoth decks uh, um, and things that are very much more within the, the occult regions, but some of the Oracle decks and stuff you, are a little bit more poppy. Um, one 40,000 has its own deck that is psycho, psych, psychoactive and it reacts and the images are different depending upon the person and where you are doing it. So you can bring those kind of ideas across to other things. Um, with runes and casting of things, I talk about what is important in the materials that is used. So the Ogham runes are generally carved on oak sticks. So is is within the world that you are playing, is, is the material that you are using to create your runes, your tarot, or whatever it is you are using to do this casting, are they important and how are they important? Is it because it's connected to the god or is it because it's what's close to you, close at hand? Um, but in relation to whether it connects to you or other people, that's something for the group to kind of be aware of. Um, we talk a lot about safety mechanics within the book, about if a divination, if someone is performing a divination and that story is very, very specific to that person, and it's specific to the character they're playing in their background do they really want it known to everybody else and um, just be sensitive of people's reactions to these things so hmm. there's a lot of levels within within this the next section i find particularly interesting and and the Probably next section massive headache <laughs> <laughs> so so this next section looks at divination by pattern um yeah. and and at first sight you think to yourself there can't be that many different types of pattern divination surely but then of course when you stop and within yeah casting and, and and reading so yeah but this is separate again because this is looking at shapes isn't it and, yes. and 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 divination from that sort of thing and when you stop and think about it there are absolutely hundreds of them so just to pick a few at random from from your book pyromancy divination by fire yep osteomancy the burning of bones and studying the patterns that are left behind um uh, again from fire capnomancy divination by smoke and then ones that are more obscure so allomancy the divination by casting salt and particularly from from other cultures there are some great ones aren't there so plastromancy which I had yep. never come across from I, from I, China. Yeah, so it's it's plastromancy is kind of an osteomancy form in a way. Um, so osteomancy is studying the way, in a way, bones and and how it could be how you cast the bones, but mostly it's to do with burning the bones. And plastromancy is the burning of specific bones, often sometimes referred to as scapulomancy. So it's the burning of the scapular bone, so the shoulder bone of animals. And then you look at the specific patterns of the cracks within the bones. And what I found really interesting about this was 
it's mostly famous of coming from central China. Uh, so kind of near the steppes and um, the desert that's in China that I forgot the name of. But it also separately evolved within North America at rough, uh, kind of like the same time. So we have the same forms of divination evolving in two se- completely separate parts of the world at the same time. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating when I, when I found that. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's like patterns across there. Again, we go back to the I Ching, Feng Shui, um, and some other ones from India and Kazakhstan and stuff. So there's a lot of different forms of it. And then the so, one... so in, oh, sorry, in terms of a gaming environment, then you can offer up divination from just about anything, can't Pretty you? Much. And and you can, if you like, choose to have a character who just sees patterns in everything, and mm-hmm. therefore is constantly trying to divine a path just by being yep. in a place. You, you, I've just thought of this, and you can go. You can go even more slightly weird with it, and you can do. You can connect it to numerology. Um, you can go through patterns of numbers and re- repeating patterns of numbers. So there's even patterns in that kind of respect. Going back to the whole Warhammer Forty Thousand aspect, the Ad, Adeptus Mechanicus, who are machine, are basically a machine race. They're uh, they're humans who are basically cyborgs that's the word i'm looking for they're effectively (laughs) cyborgs um for those people who don't know the world they're effectively cyborgs but they worship a machine god the the omnisire um they have their own forms of divination but using patterns of numbers would be very much within their realm so you can you can take patterns wherever you see them patterns within the way flowers grow Um, one of the things i i mentioned within there is if you're looking at some of the games that exist in i suppose the real world so chronicles of darkness cult divinity lost games like that you could say the patterns of the way people move and so there's 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 psychology um in the way that crowds behave and move Mm. you could use that as a form of divination as well but then, of course, to, to my somewhat twisted brain, I then go, oh, well, a Mandelbrot set is a pattern, and that's just oh. inherently a chaotic system. So suddenly anything could happen from a pattern. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a never-ending chaotic circle of pain. These are the reasons why you should never let me run a game. Well, you are running a game for me soon, aren't you? So yes, I am, and you're all going to be in extreme trouble. Uh, yes, that's maybe a conversation for another day. Yes. Um, you you talk about divination from animals at one point, and that's yes. possibly not the first thing that would come to people's mind when they think of methods of divination. So, no. how do animals feature in in the whole divination scenario? I'm, uh, before before we get into that, I'm going to put a thought for the the less the more sensitive society out there i'm going to put a, a content warning on this bit there's a little bit of gruesome nature within animal di- divination um so one thing that I, I think we've talked about already is the pattern of birds and when mm. like we've seen them all before like an evening all the starlings and birds leap out of uh, trees or things and you see these wonderful, wonderful patterns of birds and, and flocks of birds flying throughout the sky. 
within ancient Rome, this was a form of divination um, through augury um, and or not or specs. I can't remember the actual word now. Um, but augurs and auguries and people would study and learn the patterns of birds and what kind of birds it was and whether they were noisy and things so there's this whole whole grand scheme of divination through the way birds behave and to some to some extent the way it was applied in rome was was of grand importance um like the the pythia in greece augurs were uh, approached by the rich and the powerful and the merchants before they did anything so in in greece you'd approach approach a a grand prophet or an oracle like pythia in rome they'd they'd approach an augur and these were these um the augurs were priests who had a divine connection to study the, the the paths of birds and stuff um but that's kind of the most common one that everybody has heard of and so um to some i couldn't quite verify this but i found this quite interesting inauguration the word that we use to to uh like the president's inauguration um, mm. in america that word comes from augury i think i couldn't find the full connection but there is there is some connection there it may be connected if somebody knows the correct answer and I'm talking at my rear end. Please let me know. But there did seem <laughs> to be some some connection there. But beyond that, the other one that people know is the Chinese zodiac. Mm. Um, we have the twelve animals of the zodiac. There's a similar version within Japan called the Dobutsu Lenai. Uses different animals and connects it to um, different elements. Um, in England. Um, we have connections to black cats crossing our path. That is a mm. form of divination. It's not the grand scale stuff, but a black cat crosses your path and you see it. Bad things are going to happen. Well, that's it. It's, it's a good luck, bad luck thing. Good isn't luck, bad it? Luck kind of yeah. Thing. Um, the same yeah. thing with magpies. One mm. for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, and all the various iterations mm. of that. Um, saluting the magpie as well. I was just going to ask about that, actually, because there are certain types of, they're not strictly divination, but, mm. but good fortune and bad fortune, we'll use divination for want of a better term, yeah. where if if what you witness will lead to bad luck, then you have a method of cancelling that out. So, yes, right. saluting a magpie is the obvious example of that. Um not walking under a ladder, you know, that, that, those sorts of things. But is that very common that you can just go, this is bad luck. So I'm just going to subvert that. There on that kind of small local scale, not these, not the grand, not, not the larger ideas that I tend to talk about within this book. Um, as I kind of went through this, I discovered there are so many small scale. I wouldn't say small scale. I'm going to use small and large scale here um, just because that's the way my mind works. Mm. Um, small scale kind of personal things you could do so there'd be don't walk under a ladder black cat crosses your path throwing salt over your shoulder yeah um, spilled milk all these little kind of sayings that we have not really 
divination, but they are methods to change different the divination in a way mm. um, to prevent. So maybe you 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 did see a black cat walk in front of you, and therefore you believe you've got bad luck, or you stepped on the crack in a pavement, so therefore there's bad luck coming to you. There are methods to stop that. So these are a lot more small scale, local scale. Um, in a way, like it's not mentioned in the book, but you have, I remember Icy Sedgwick talking about this on one of her episodes of um, roasting nuts in a fire at Christmas and seeing the man that you were going to marry. These are kind yes. of very, very local customs. Um, these are kind of more of in this book we we tend to talk about the kind of bigger scale things that would affect the story that you are playing with an mm. rpg whereas learn learning who you are going to marry mm. unless you're looking at a five ten year campaign <laughs> i will say one well done the fact that you've got a campaign going that long <laughs> yeah yeah and they do exist don't they? okay they well do let's exist. let's let's talk about something larger scale then and and i find this particularly interesting so the concept of summoning yes an entity for divination and the reason that i find this interesting is that when when you think about summoning divination your mind will naturally go to the ouija board okay yes now when we think about uh, I'm going to use the term, and I'll regret it, Dungeons and Dragons, specifically. You've noticed I've tried to avoid using Yes, <laughs> I have noticed. When we when we look at these kinds of original format role-playing games, yes, generally... Old-school role-play. Then we, we, then we go, okay, so the 1980s, 1990s, moral panic, yeah, the satanic panic, you know, these things are evil and bad, so... Let's throw in a Ouija board as, as you know. Yeah. Is, have we got past that stage now with, with these kinds of things, or is it still problematic? Oh, it's kind of hard to say, to be honest. Um, so we know that to, to, to some extent or kind of the main influence that made the Ouija board or spirit boards as their, the kind of overall concept of them is what really kind of throw threw them into that dark evil area was the 1976. I'm going to get the year wrong here. Uh, movie um, that everyone loves the exorcist. Mm. That was the movie that kind of really, kicked off the connection of the, the spirit boards and Ouija boards with devils and, and summoning evil and things. And from there, we we, sp- we spawn this pop culture idea that um, Ouija boards and spirit boards are conduits to evil. Mm. Whether we've gone past that or not within modern society, I'm debatable because we still see it mostly occurring within horror movies yes yes we do it's definitely still on that line as well so Mm. and it's interesting isn't it and 
We totally need to do an episode on spirit boards, I think, at some point. I haven't done it up until this point. It's been very well covered elsewhere. Um, I, I have but, done an episode on it as well. You have, exactly. Yeah, that that was one I was going to cite. You've you've covered it. Um, Blake Smith and Karen Stolls now on the Monster Talk podcast yep. have um, have interviewed like the world's leading expert in, and collector of Ooh. Ouija boards and spirit boards. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so it's been well covered, but yeah. I do feel, still feel that we should look at it at some point from the perspective of folklore specifically, because, yes. you know, uh, you spent a lot of time in Japan. Yes. And there are spirit board equivalents in Japan, aren't there, which is yes. the, same, the same kind of idea, but slightly different. Yeah, so Kokori-san, which is the Japanese version, and I, I do talk about it on my podcast I would recommend also go and listen to the Uncanny Japan episode on Kokori-san um, mm. because just just go listen to it. The way the way that they, they end that episode is absolutely amazing. Um, but where Kokori-san comes from, even though it's popular in Japan and, and it caused its own kind of weird mini satanic panic in Japan in the 70s before even the, the American satanic panic and D&D thing kicked off. Um, it comes from America. It was brought over in the 1860s when Captain Perry came and reopened Japan in his nice, polite way that he did. Um, all of the, the sailors and things on there, because of the big spiritual movement that was happening in America, they brought over a lot of the spiritualist ideas, and one of those was the spirit board. And Japan went, oh, and made their own version. Um, and we know that this is, it's, I, I don't, I hate to use the word fact, but it's, it's a pretty strong connection that the Kokuri-san um, form of divination in Japan started to become popular and appear in, within media and within writings at around the time that the Americans were coming over and bringing over their spiritualist ideas. So, but it is, it's, it's the same, but also quite different. Has its own cultural identity now, yeah. but you're still moving a planchette around and things. Um, and it is, it brings in as well, unlike the traditional American and European spiritual ideas of the spirit board, where you are connecting with loved ones or ancestors or spirits that have passed. Kokuri-san, you are connecting to spirits of another realm. You are quite often talking to demons. And demons here is the Japanese sense of the word demons, not the European sense where it's an evil being. Demons are just beings of another realm. But you have to say goodbye to them. And you have to get rid of them, otherwise bad things will happen. Mm. That has only really appeared recently within... The, the the Ouija board and the spirit board ideas. So, but that was always a part of the Japanese form. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating area. I am I am going to. Uh, so I have been I have been talking to them, and I am going to set this up. Um, uh, have the host of Uncanny Japan on and do oh. do an episode with them because um, it's amazing. I I am by no means an expert in Japanese culture or mm-hmm. Japanese mm-hmm. folklore. Um, but Teresa certainly is, yes. and um, 
we're going to hopefully hook up and do something about Japanese superstition because I think that, that would be an be interesting really one to do. There's a lot of really fun Japanese superstition. It will happen. Teresa, if you're listening, uh, I have, you have not put you out of my mind and this is going to happen, so be afraid. Okay, uh, let's, let, let's wrap up with one more which, which okay. we haven't covered, Okay, which is... Um, back to seeing again and seers i suppose in a way but doing it yourself this time rather than going to somebody else and that's the art of scrying ah. so gazing into an object to the look for one something. chapter that was not edited when i sent it to you <laughs> i'm i'm not going to pass any comment on on your <laughs> writing style because this well, is a working document. I have no reason to. Uh, it's it's purely adding, the going to add in a lot more to to this chapter as well. So. <laughs> yeah, but I, what 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 we basically uh, need to cover, I think, is just the the concept of of scrying because it feeds into other interesting areas, doesn't mm. it? Because yeah. We're, we're using something like, well, you've already mentioned a crystal ball, but a crystal ball or an obsidian mirror or a dark mirror or something like that to gaze into to try and see patterns form, again, back to patterns, which we can then interpret or they resolve into images or so on. But then we also find that that feeds into the idea of staring into a mirror for very, very bad and other reasons in terms of yes. urban legends and things, yes. doesn't it? So yes. where'd, where's that crossover kind of lie between looking into a mirror to see something that you want to see and looking into a mirror and seeing something that you absolutely don't want to? So my my... One of the things you find in in certain RP, and this this is kind of where this all comes from, is I wouldn't say so. What we talk about in here with the urban legends is is the Bloody Mary thing of, mm. that is fame from most Western culture. I put this in here kind of as a as a response to games like that game D anD D, where there is a hard pass and fail. Uh, most of the games that I play and I, I tend to run, don't have a hard pass and fail. It's levels, and you'll always find some information out. But games which have a hard pass and fail, what happens if you fail your divination? What happens if you're looking into that mirror and you are trying to call the spirits and get an answer to a question, but you fail? What happens? Well, urban legends are a great source for that because most mm. urban legends nowadays, or in a way some modern folklore and we've both talked quite extensively about urban legends and modern folklore and things um, the, the they're, they're generally very very dark oh Patterns yeah gen, generally occur in in quite disturbing ways and so we can use these to kind of take inspiration as what goes wrong within if, if your divination fails what what are the consequences of this you have called forth so you are doing a summoning so scrying to some extent is also a summoning um you are calling forth something to to ask a question through the mirror you're going through to the other plane um you're calling it forth and uh you call through the wrong thing um and it doesn't like the question you're asking it or you've done something slightly wrong, you've called the right thing, but it's actually managed to escape. What happens then? 
and it's you taking these ideas from urban legends um is, is a really great great way to kind of look at it so that's kind of where i kind of went with that um mm. let's say that was that, 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 that chapter is still in the works <laughs> <laughs> but it gives you the opportunity to use yeah. a lot of dark a lot of dark material yeah. which is always good in the game yeah. okay let, let's let's wrap up this is a kickstarter and a yes. book that will work on two levels in my opinion okay because mm-hmm. if you are um a gaming enthusiast and you like to run games or you want ideas for how to put a game together this is absolutely going to give you a whole wealth of material that you can use to integrate into a game. If you're not a hard gamer, but you're just interested in the subject, then there's still an awful lot of material of interest in here, looking at the different cultures' approaches to divination and the different types of divination and how they're used. And it's a great example of how these things feed into our everyday lives because it works in the same way as feeding into a game. So it should be of interest to many people. Uh, If people want to go and support it and find out more about it and these sorts of things, now is the time to direct them in the right place. Yes. Um, At the time of recording, uh, it is not live on Kickstarter. Um, There is a link to the, the 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 kickstarter thing that will tell you when it's live um but if you go on and i don't know when this is going to be released um but we are hoping to be live on october the 25th i think um and if you look for eye to the void a table uh, a ttrpg guide to divination it'll be um done by hive mind games um, you'll probably see uh, a, a bluey pinky cover on there as well. Uh, so Eye to the Void by Hive Mind Games. Excellent. This episode will come out before the Kickstarter goes live. Um, I will make sure that uh, there are links on the episode page for this episode on the Folklore Podcast website and on Twitter and the places where we put sort of links and things and in the show notes. So if you want to go and support it, then you will easily be able to do so. David, just finally to wrap up, if people want to find out more about your work and material and such things, where should they go and do that? Um so I, I occasionally, uh, very, very occasionally at the moment, do my own podcast on folklore stuff um, at The Drunken Storyteller. Um, you can find that on all good podcast places. Make sure you look for the, the actual podcast because there's apparently a band called The Drunken Storyteller out there. Uh, I'm on Twitter as The Drunken Store One. Um, I don't really interact on social media because I'm a bit slack. It's true. Don't try and follow David on Facebook. It's completely pointless. But yeah. but Twitter is a good <laughs> Twitter <laughs> is a good place to do so. Uh, I find it very difficult to believe that you are actually drunken when you do your storytelling. Either it's a fu- it's a fine podcast with not I, I that used, much alcohol. I used to be a little bit tipsy. It was more in the editing phase at one point. Now <laughs> now I just I'm, I'm too old to do that anymore. So it hurts. We're all too, too old to do things like that now. Yeah. <laughs> 
I will put links to all of the places in all of the places so that people can go and find out thank more you. about this. David, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.